Hi, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Every public library depends on an event calendar on their website to get the word out about what's happening at their institution. Does yours allow you to easily post to social media, manage registration and wait lists, create segmented attendance reports, and email groups and individuals who signed up? A new event calendar from Asabet Interactive delivers on all those fronts, without taking you to another website that can confuse your patrons. And it works hand-in-glove with the company's new room booking software, so you can easily avoid location use conflicts. Want to see how the system works? Go to assabetinteractive.com Dewey and request a demo. That's A-S-S-A-B-E-T-I-N-T-E-R-A-C-T-I-V-E dot com slash Dewey. Assabet Interactive. No limits. On the number of staff users and records held and where librarians may log into the system. If you have a garden and a library, you have everything you need. The words of Roman philosopher Cicero written almost two centuries ago are more prescient today than ever. Libraries across the country are finding places, be it on their grounds or even on their roofs, for gardening and outdoor nature spaces. There's an aesthetic pleasure to these gardens, of course, but they can also be used as teaching tools and to feed the community. First, ALA Editions Acquisitions Editor Rachel Chance talks with Kathy Lane, Programming Events and Outreach Coordinator at Boulder Public Library and the Bee Chicas of Boulder about the rooftop beehives at Boulder Public Library. Next, ALA Editions Acquisitions Editor J.B. Santoro speaks with Leah Liebergen, Library Services Associate at Brown County Library in Green Bay, Wisconsin, where a library garden is helping to educate patrons about gardening and sustainability. But first, a word from Assabet Interactive, today's sponsor. Does your public library struggle with the booking of meeting and study rooms? Assabet Interactive's new room booking software for public library websites allows patrons to find and select available time slots, provide information about their use of the space, and even request equipment available in the rooms. Most importantly, patrons are required to accept your terms and conditions of use before submitting a request, which may be held for review or automatically approved, depending on the room. Want to see how the system works? Go to assabetinteractive.com Dewey and request a demo. That's A-S-S-A-B-E-T-I-N-T-E-R-A-C-T-I-V-E dot com slash Dewey. Assabet Interactive. No limits on the number of staff users and records held, and where librarians may log into the system. Rachel Chance is a self-professed bee nerd. When she isn't editing books for ALA editions, you can find her in downstate Indiana tending beehives. Chance found kindred spirits at Boulder Public Library in Boulder, Colorado, where several beehives can be found on the library's roof. 
To get the full buzz on their program, Chance spoke with Kathy Lane, Programming Events and Outreach Coordinator at the library, and Teresa Beck, Cynthia Scott, and Deborah Foy, three of the Bee Chicas, a team of beekeepers who advocate for sustainable pollination and beekeeping who tend the hives. Kathy, Teresa, Cynthia, and Deborah, welcome to Dewey Decibel. Thanks so much for being with us. Happy to be Thank here. You. Thanks for having us. Great. Thank you. I'll start with Kathy, the librarian at the center of Boulder Public Library's beekeeping and pollination activities. Kathy, would you tell us how the library came to house beehives and why? Sure. Well, I first met the Bee Chicas in 2014 with the Bee Boulder Family Festival. And I'm actually going to turn it over to the Bee Chicas to answer that question because it was their proposal. So we ran into Kathy as we were planning this festival as part of the um, City of Boulder's Pollinator Appreciation Month. And we said, wouldn't it be cool to have beehives on the roof of the library? Not really thinking anything would come of it, but Kathy picked it up and before you knew it, we were keeping beehives here. <laughs> And we, the city um, has a commitment to pollinators improving the environment and also teaching and demonstrating sustainable living. So it fit very well with the city, the city's mission and vision as well as the libraries. Um, and so in addition to having the beehives on the roof of the garden, we offer monthly programs with the bee chicas um, with bees. And today was extremely hands-on with the kids meeting the bees and being able to hold the drones. Oh, that's lovely. Um, one of my first thoughts when I read about the beehives was safety for library patrons and the public as well as the staff. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Kathy? Sure. It did take about a year and a half to get full approval. We had to get approval at the city level as well as at the state level. And so we had um, a woman from the Fish and City or Colorado Fish and Wildlife Department come and give us advice as to the location in conjunction with the beekeepers because the bee chicas knew the location that the bees would like and we had to make sure that the patrons were safe as well. So it's on a 12 foot, um, it's on the roof of a 12 foot wall and the flight of the path is up and out. Um, and we put it in a garden that doesn't have very many, um, very many blooms other than in spring. Mm -hmm. um, and we also had to make adjustments. So we had to contact forestry and we had to amend some of the trees in the area so that bears didn't have easy access to the roof. Um, <laughs> so yeah, bears bears are something that Boulder has to think a lot about um, depending on where you are in the city. And then we had to get permission from Open Space and Mountain Parks and the Parks Department who manages the, the space around the library. Risk management and integrated pest management were great advocates for us. Um, and so it was it was a real collaborative effort to get the approval through. And then it was thanks to the sponsorship of the Boulder Library Foundation that these programs are possible. Oh, that's wonderful. It sounds like uh, you, went, you went through a very detailed process to make sure this was safe. We did, yes. So in researching um, Boulder Public Library's Bee Literate program, and that's B spelled B-E-E, -E, I was impressed by how the library programming and related activities really provide a seed to table experience for library visitors. It seems like a lot of work. Um, Kathy, will you give our listeners an overview of the Be Literate and Seed to Table programs and talk about how partnerships like your collaboration with the Bee, Bee Chicas help make this happen? 
Sure. Um, well, a library is nowhere to find information. We're not necessarily content experts. And so partnerships with the Bichicas and other experts in our community make these programs possible. So we have an edible learning garden, which started in 2015, and that started off with volunteers and then has gradually morphed. Um, and it's a very library owned partnership where the community is welcome to come in and harvest as well as weed um, in our garden and help themselves to food there. And in order to do classes, we have an amazing chef, Matt Collier, who's with the Boulder Farmers Market. Um, and he's the manager of the Seeds Library Cafe and they do cooking classes. Um, and last year we did a canning class and we targeted, we had a primary demographic of low income families to come and learn how to can healthy foods that could last throughout the year. Um, and then we also have, in addition to Edible Learning Garden, we have a seed library and we do gardening programs where people learn how to grow their own food if they're able to do that, including containers. You can do a container garden and it can support pollinators and grow some lovely food. Um, and then with the Bee Chicas, we've created a community build for a native bee house, and that was in our makerspace, Building 61. And we had some wonderful partners that made that possible um, as well that, that Teresa could probably talk more about. Yeah, we partnered with um, the University of Colorado, the Bees Needs, um, which is a citizen science project, and um, they came and helped us with the building of it. And, um, and as well as a community workshop and, mm -hmm. and the general public, um, because honeybees are very much in the, the mainstream news, and we sort of think of them as a, as an easy access way to bring people in and educate them about the broader pollinator um, situation and our native bees, which are equally as important to preserve. So we've done workshops where people can make their own native bee houses to take home. And then the collaborative one is here at the library. So it's right next to the, the playground outside. And so we can do some education there about the importance of leaving mulch on your ground for habitats, as well as creating um, other habitat space, spaces for native bees. And also it's a great opportunity to teach people about looking close at bees and their bee nest blocks that, I mean, the nest plugs, um, you can tell what type of species it is based on that. And CU entomology department helped us a lot with mm -hmm. um, getting, giving information to the public about how native bees are gentle, they won't sting. You can get your face right up close to the <laughs> bee block because they're solitary and, um, and really approachable for people. So, Teresa, I love your organization's name. Can you tell us a bit about who the Bee Chicas are and what you do? Um, yes, we are four longtime friends um, and gardeners and are, who are passionate about the environment, um, education, and of course, bees. And we um, founded the Bee Chicas in 2014 when we helped the city of Boulder, the Boulder Public Library and others, um, to start the annual Bee Boulder Festival which um, celebrates pollinators during the month of September, which is an official pollinator appreciation month in, in Boulder. And so we love to share our enthusiasm with the community, um, especially children through the workshops that we teach at the library. Fantastic. So um, Deborah, 
Do you see, um, sort of following up on uh, the question I asked Cynthia, do you see public education and awareness programs like Be Literate as a step in the right direction? And how have community members responded to the program? Yes, we see programs like ours as a very valuable resource. Not everyone who has an interest in supporting bees or other pollinators is interested in becoming a beekeeper, but they can attend a fun workshop or a presentation and learn more about the issues and walk away with ideas on how to be part of the solution. And in fact, I think that's one of the most important reasons the Bee Chicas are doing this. We want to educate people, but we also want to motivate people to make positive change and really spread a message of hopefulness. And the community is responding to that. Most of our workshops have a wait list. Um, we often hear feedback from people on positive changes they've made after attending our workshops or hearing our presentations. And we're seeing a lot more organizations reach out to us, like schools, elementary schools, even Google, looking for uh, workshops or presentations to educate their communities. So it's clearly an issue people are interested in. And I think um, the types of things we're doing is really resonating on our local level. So um, what advice would you give to our listeners uh, thinking about starting a similar program at their library? So from the library's perspective, I would say that you that they'd either need staff who are available and had the expertise to do the hive maintenance and because it's not just about putting the bees on the roof and they take care of themselves. It is a livestock because they're not native bees. And so there is definitely some regular maintenance that needs to happen, especially in the height of the season. Um, but if you have, if you're as fortunate as we are and have some passionate beekeepers who are willing to help out and make that part of their project, I'm sure um, that would be a wonderful way to do that. I would highly encourage the embracing the native bee education and having that motivational factor that Deborah mentioned about having that call to action. But these are things you can do too. Not everyone has to become a beekeeper to make a difference. Yes, and um, we are four beekeepers. Um, Tracy's not with us. She's with her family on a vacation. But we think it's important to partner with knowledgeable beekeepers and not just have one beekeeper. Mm -hmm. We would recommend having at least two or more because you can discuss what's going on in the hive. You can help move the heavy equipment. It's just, we think, important. At, yes, I agree. And I also think that it's really important to have the beekeeper be also willing to be sort of a front person and to also do some programming around the hives. If you just put the hives up there, then it's one thing that's kind of interesting. A few people will know about it, but the rich programming that Kathy has allowed the Bichikas to do has made it um, much more fun for us. And also uh, you get to reach a lot more uh, people in the community. So, And also what I would say is make sure that you have a great advocate like Kathy, <laughs> if you're a yes. beekeeper starting to do this, because she has provided us with everything. She's made everything easy. We have a storage closet mm -hmm. to store all of our big boxes. Whenever we have a question or a desire, or whatever, she makes it happen. Mm -hmm. So we really appreciate it. 
that and also um, the funding from the um, Boulder Library Foundation has made it possible. So that's been great. We feel like we've been able to make things like beeswax candles and wonderful rich programming that cost money. And um, we we're able to be really generous with our community that way. In fact, one of the most one of the most popular programs that always has a wait list is the beeswax wraps. Mm -hmm. And so that's an effort to try and reduce the use of plastic. And so you can make your own beeswax wrap to take your sandwich to lunch or to school in. Oh, that's um, wonderful. Yeah. And that and that one's that one's actually you don't need a beehive to, you know, at your library to do that. And we'd be happy to send the information about how to make this easy and, and happen at your library. Great. Um, so, Kathy, I think everyone is wondering, what does the library do with the honey? <laughs> <laughs> so the first year we had a very small reserve, and so we actually kept it to ensure that the hive would make it through the year. And then we did some extraction. And so the people who um, we, we made an invitation for people to come help us with extraction. And so those folks went home with a, um, a small jar of honey. And then um, the following year, we had enough where we could give a jar to um, over 100. We have over 100 staff members, so everyone got a staff gift, um, as well as the commission and the library foundation. And then we we gave, I think, was it a court that we gave to Seeds Library Cafe? And so that's one way that we share it with the public is it's in the food that you eat at the Seeds Library Cafe, which is tasty and delicious. Um, and then we also, um, the public has access to tasting the the honey during programs. Um, so maybe when our hives are healthy and well in production that we can think of other ways that we can give the public access to the honey would be great. Using a range of different approaches to manage the use of space at your public library, two new software modules for your website from Assabet Interactive it will help you keep track of what's going on in any location where programs are run by the library and rooms are available for patrons to book. An event calendar with a robust registration component and a room booking system for meeting, study, and staff rooms make it easy to stay on top of both. The two modules engage directly with patrons online and with each other, so conflicts are avoided. Want to see how the system works? Go to assabetinteractive.com slash dewey and request a demo. That's A-S-S-A-B-E-T-I-N-T-E-R-A-C-T-I-V-E dot com slash dewey. Assabet Interactive. No limits on the number of staff users and records held and where librarians may log into the system. Libraries and Gardens Growing Together is a fascinating new book just released this year by ALA Editions. In it, authors Carrie Scott Banks and Cindy Mediavilla present a history of libraries and gardens and look at contemporary library gardens and gardening programs. ALA Editions Acquisitions Editor Jamie Santoro spoke with Leah Liebergen, Library Services Associate at Brown County Library in Green Bay, Wisconsin, one of the libraries featured in the book, to learn more about its Cellcom Children's Edible Garden. Leah, welcome to the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, for our listeners, can you walk us through your garden? What does it look like? Sure. So it is basically the front door to our library. So it's on our main entrance side um, of our library. We are a downtown branch in downtown Green Bay, Wisconsin. 
Um, and so if you come in through the gate, that's by the front door to the library, um, you're going to see um, a crabapple tree and some cherry trees. And then we have these bushes called honeyberries, which I had never seen before. They kind of look like elongated blueberries. Um, and the kids love them because then it turns their tongues blue when they eat them. Um, and then you will, uh, if you keep walking, you'll walk under an arbor of, we usually grow some kind of like long bean on the arbor. So then um, the beans kind of like reach down towards the kids um, and they love that. Um, and then if you keep going, you'll see the raised beds that we have in there. Um, some are, you know, wooden raised beds and some are um, like cement raised beds. Uh, we have an adorable shed where we keep most of our gardening equipment. Uh, we tried to make it look like a fairy tale cottage, you know, just because it's at a library and in a garden. Um, and then as you keep going, you'll see some more raised beds. Um, our composting area that we are going to really focus on this year to kind of build that area up a little bit further. And then we have a gate at the far end, and then that's where we have some new apple trees that we just planted last fall. So um, we will be getting those, you know, apples from those in a few years. So we're just getting wow. those situated. Yeah. Is it a pretty big space then? Yeah, uh, it's about from and from gate to gate. It's about fifty yards, I would say. Oh, that's good. And yeah. and the majority of things are edible there. Yes, we try to focus um, mainly on the edible, although I would say uh, we have some things specifically for pollinators. Uh, we have a butterfly garden area that we have, like, butterfly bush and um, milkweed. We have um, milkweed at the beginning, too, because we want to attract pollinators. Um, and then we do have, um, for an Eagle Scout project, um, a Boy Scout made planters out of old tires uh, where you turn them, like, inside out, and he painted them real bright colors and stuff. And because they're tires, we didn't want to grow things in there that would be eaten. So we put flowers in there, too, just to kind of add some more color to the garden and, again, to attract the pollinators. And how did your library get started? I mean, your garden get started there. Um, so the that area, um, like I said, we're in downtown Green Bay, and that area used to just be like a big cement slab in front of the library, and it had a couple of trees and some cement benches, but it wasn't super and a super attractive um, entrance to the library because, like I said, it's like right, it's basically our front door. And so we wanted to do something that would kind of like raise that aesthetic and make it much more welcoming for people rather because in any downtown area, you're going to see a lot of cement. So we wanted to do something different with that area and add some color and, and make it more attractive to people that are coming. Um, so a bunch of people at the library got together and put their heads together and then um, were able to raise some funds to get um, the money uh, to actually make this happen. So in 2013, um, the people at the library met with um, the UW Extension staff to kind of see, like, what was practical, you know, what's a good design. And then the UW Extension horticulturist, BJ, um, actually helped uh, draft the first initial blueprint for it. 
And then from there, after we got, um, you know, funding from obviously Stellcom, they're the named sponsor of it, and Festival Foods and Purveya Health and Schreiber, um, which are, you know, companies in, in our area here that really go out of their way to support things like this. Um, we were able to put the garden in it, and then every year we've been able to kind of like add a feature like that. I was talking about that bean arbor. Um, one of our – we have master gardeners now through UV Extension that help us keep the garden growing and looking amazing. So every year they're able to kind of like add a new feature or do something different, you know, add some more trees and stuff to kind of um, really – make it interesting every year and make it different, you know, so it's constantly growing even beyond that initial plan. And from the get-go, was the vision a children's garden? Yes. Yep. They always, um, that was big. So what we, like the idea behind it is it's kind of like an outdoor classroom that supports the programming in our children's department. And that was like the vision from the beginning. That's, not to say that we don't have um, adult programming in there. We do a thing on Tuesday nights um, in cooperation with our master gardeners called Tuesday Nights in the Garden. And so we have master gardeners available in the garden on Tuesday nights for people who maybe, you know, work during the day and can't come to our, our programming during the day or maybe have, like, a question about their own garden or some weed, you know, that was growing and they want it identified. Um and then we do some adult programming as far as we made um, stepping stones. We did terrariums. We had a program called Plant Your Junk, and we invited people to bring their junk, like old shoes or an old watering can or whatever. And then we helped them, you know, plant stuff in it to kind of beautify it up again. Mm-hmm. So we do some adult programming in that space also. And we also have it open, um, you know, during the day. There are benches in there if people want to come and um, you know, eat their lunch, although I will say it is on the south side of our building and it gets very hot in there, but it really is um, primarily used to support the programming for our children's department. So we have programs in there every Friday in the summer where we invite, you know, um, guest speakers to come in. Uh, we might have someone come in who keeps bees and talk about the importance of pollinators to a garden. Um, or we had somebody from um, the Oneida tribe. Um, the reservation is just outside of the city limits here. And he talked about the three sisters, um, the importance of um, the the legend of the three sisters, corn, beans, and squash, and then how that, how you grow those together and why you grow those together and everything. And he had the kids, you know, kind of act out the story as he was telling it. That was really cool. That was a cool program. And then we made um, corn hostiles. Um, and we had somebody from, uh, we have a botanical garden here in town and we've had her a few times come and actually the kids can pick, um, tomatoes and peppers and onions in the garden and then they make fresh salsa and then they just stay in the garden and eat it. <laughs> that sounds so, lovely. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like one of my favorite days because it's so fun to see the kids, you know, out there picking the fruit and then like eating the salsa and we've had so many parents tell us. They've never seen their kids eat, you know, vegetables like this. Like we'll, in the beginning of the season, you know, the leafy greens are usually the first to come up. And parents are like, I've never seen my kid eat kale before, but he'll eat it here because, you know, you, because we do a story around it and then we'll go out and pick it. And it, it seems, you know, so different than if you're just buying it at the grocery store. 
if there were other libraries interested in starting a garden, what sort of advice would you would you give them? Um, I would say definitely use your community connections. You know, look um, if there is a UW Extension office or a Extension office, depending on what state you're in, um, to check with them, to check with, you know, if there's a local university um, or technical school in your area. Um, we are fortunate in the Green Bay area, we have a couple of universities and then a technical school that um, sustainability, sustainable agriculture is actually taught at that those schools. So we've been able to get, you know, guest speakers and advice from um, those places. So that's been wonderful. Um, I would reach out to any um, gardening groups in your area. Um, I didn't realize until I started working here, you know, how many um, hobby gardener groups there were in the Green Bay, Brown County area um, that I've been able to touch base with. And we have had volunteers, you know, beyond just the master gardeners, people who just want to come and, you know, putz around a garden. Maybe they don't have space, you know, where they're living. They're in an apartment or something, and, and they haven't had an opportunity to garden, but they will come here and pick weeds because picking weeds can be very zen, you know, at the end of a long work day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I would say if anybody's interested in doing that, you know, um, definitely reach out to your community organizations and um, ask them to partner with you on it. It's because of the partnerships that we've had with the um, the uh, charitable giving from the larger companies in this area and then the Master Gardener partnership that we've been able to do this. We absolutely, as a library staff, wouldn't be able to maintain this garden. Um, just watering it alone takes about 40 minutes. When I was having to do it, um, we had some dry spells a couple of years ago and there was one day of the week where we didn't have a volunteer, so I would go out and do it. And it takes about 40 minutes just for the watering alone. So, um, you know, with the weeding and you know, all the other things that go into a garden, we absolutely could not do this without without our volunteers. Oh, well, it's been my pleasure to talk to you today and to learn all about your garden. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you, thank you. And if anybody, you know, has questions, if they're interested in doing something like this, you know, it doesn't even have to be a a large scale. We started out with a couple of raised beds from um, the Green Bay Garden Blitz, which is this organization that goes around and installs um, raised bed gardens in people's yards or at schools. We started out with a couple of their, you know, just raised bed planters and then, you know, have grown and grown. So it doesn't have to be this huge undertaking. you know, if people are interested in getting started, they can reach out to me through um, our Facebook or website. I'd be happy, like, obviously, to talk about this. <laughs> that wraps another episode of the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Join us next month as we take an inside look at several unique, special libraries. Which ones? How special? You have to tune in to find out. In the meantime, you can join us on Twitter or Facebook, or you can reach out to me directly at DeweyDecibel at ALA.org. Have praise, complaints, story ideas, anything at all, lay it on me. I want to hear from you. For those of you attending the ALA Annual Conference in Washington, D.C., join us June 22nd at 9 a.m. at the Pop Top Stage in the Exhibit Hall for a very special Dewey Decibel Live taping. 
I'll be hosting a conversation about the Coretta Scott King Book Awards with authors Jason Reynolds and Angie Thomas and illustrators Akua Holmes and Christopher Myers. You don't want to miss this. It's a live taping. Be there. Until then, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association. And this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast.